Hello, and welcome back to Audience Surrogate. I am your proud co-host, Steve Vieira, and joining me on the air, as always, is my stalwart co-host. He is the man behind the curtain, the maker of tastes, by Potter and Crime. And when he's not recording with me, he's teaching Chris Nolan's Peloton class, but you can get his takes on Tenet for free. <laughs> Please welcome the unsinkable Matthew Gilbert. Oh my god. Wow. I, I was wondering if you heard about the Peloton thing. That, uh, that that woman is my spirit animal. Don't I know it, brother? Don't I know it? I, when I heard that, I said, I didn't know Matt Gilbert taught Peloton classes. I, I'm, not in, <laughs> I'm not in good enough shape to teach Peloton classes. Oh, but what is in great shape, Gilbert, is your, your film criticism. <laughs> uh, because I think you and I met shortly after Tenet came out in theaters, and... Wow, you are you are Hattori Hanzo steel when it comes to that film. I I made a whole video about my feelings on Tenet. I I, I leave it all in there. Uh, and viewers should go check out Gil Turtle for more, uh, and they should hit follow on this podcast feed. Um, and so today it is just because this man has so much to get off his chest. As do I, for we speak on behalf of the audience, we will be talking about what excites us for the coming year in film, and it will be time to issue our list of the 2024 most anticipated films, and TV shows, and video games, and music. That's right, this year we are widening our aperture to include pretty much all forms of media on these lists because our screens don't just bring you movies, they bring us TV shows. They bring us things like podcasts and comedy specials and video games and, and sometimes they bring us music. And so we're going to be talking about those things and bringing them to your ears and to your minds. So today I'm very excited to be listing with Gilbert once again. I think this is going to provide some nice structure to our podcasts in the coming year uh but first we couldn't possibly enthrone the new year before we bury the old and so first things first we haven't been on the air in a while uh and so i think it's time just to take a few minutes to unpack 2023 and what that year has meant for film for pop culture uh and for we the audience so gilbert gonna turn the floor over to you now that 2023 uh, is sailing back to the mysterious homeworld with the elves, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of the past year? I'm thinking a lot about 2019 because that movie, that year for movies, was unbelievable. We had something like nine different billion-dollar movies come out within the span of 12 months, and that is unheard of you had avengers endgame star wars rise of skywalker captain marvel aladdin the lion king the, the list goes on the and there was a sense of that just the good times were here to stay that we just had good movies and good business booming supporting those movies keeping this industry afloat and then 2020 happened and we got to see exactly how wrong we were about that and 2023 gives me a lot of 2019 vibes for what 2024 is going to bring. Because 2023, we had some, we were truly eating like kings. There was great content in just about every month of last year. We, we got some really great movies from some 
absolute masters. They got some great genre movies, action flicks, franchise films, although not the ones that we've been accustomed to expect year on year. There was something for everybody in 2023. We we got some pretty good stuff. And even if we, it didn't end in, with a bang, we still got to see a lot of great films. And that's all I ever really ask for. And I mean, what more could we possibly ask for? Uh, we're here to really celebrate things that we love. Uh, and 2020, 2023, you have 2029 vibes about 2023, which is a real tongue twister. And now I'm getting tied up here. 2019. Uh, 2019 uh what year is it <laughs> uh so so i think that 2023 was an amazing year for films and tv but especially films uh also just putting to the side this isn't something we've we've covered up till now but 2023 was one of the best years for video games we've seen in a long long time just totally separately but uh yeah just a fabulous year um for a lot of the great forums that I love. So there are still things that I have not caught up on from the past year. And so I'm very excited to have a long 2023, so to speak, that I'll be able to continue to discover certain things even as time goes on. It was a spectacular year. It was a, a year we saw a lot of uh, bold work, a lot of uh, really definitional work. Um, it was a time where there was a pretty prolific level of output on on all cylinders um so you couldn't help but find something incredible everywhere you turned i think it was a really great year i'm almost sad to see it go um i think it was a great year to start a podcast and i i just hope that there's there's some things that we can hold on to in particular i i love to see the return of the historical fiction genre because that really just tickles my fancy. Uh, and I think that we had some really elite directors re-enter that genre, which is something that's foundational to, to Hollywood and to the, to the cinematic experience. A lot of epics were shaped by certain historical epics in the early days of Hollywood. Um, and I think that in very chaotic moments uh we we look to the past for guidance uh more often than not it tends to give our give us a mirror uh and i think that's what we got with a lot of these films where directors were attempting to explore how we arrived you know where certain critical moments in the history of our our shared society and planet that led us up to the present moment um, that really reflect a mirror to show us how certain problems and the human experience have been constant throughout the, our entire existence as a species. Um, and it's something that's fascinating for me to see just because there are an infinite number of ways to approach this. Um, and so we had some of some people like Martin Scorsese, some people like Christopher Nolan decide that they were going to use their incredible powers of presentation to bring these moments to life uh, and to help people grapple with tragedies that, that shape the world we live in today. That was, that was a particular delight for me. Um, and we'll certainly be talking a lot about some of those films, uh, especially Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, Marty's Killers of the Flower Moon, as we get into some of our Oscar talk uh, later this year. Well said, sir. 
Gilbert, uh, you've been sitting on any takes from 2023 that you want to share with us? Last time we talked was about Killers of the Flower Moon, which came out in, I want to say, October. So I, uh, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I I have had such a an exhausting few months, but the one thing that I did make sure to do just to maintain my sanity was see as many movies as possible, as many movies as were coming out. As I wanted to see, I found a way to see. So I got to see movies like The Holdovers, like Poor Things, which I absolutely loved. Godzilla Minus One, The Iron Claw, Anyone But You. I finally caught up on Dumb Money. And I even caught Killers of the Flower Moon for a second time because that movie is just a fucking masterpiece. I'm, I'm realizing now that you asked me about takes that I've been sitting on and I just dropped one that I've already, that I've already said. Uh, that's let's revisit some takes because they'll as uh, close as the year is, it was also pretty far away. So, like, what's one thing you know that you're you're still weighing and still considering? Still considering. I still don't know how much I like Oppenheimer. In the end. Okay. Oh, please, let's get it out here. It. Get on the peloton. Get on the peloton, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's a good movie. It's well made. But I wonder when I return to it next, if I'm going to enjoy or be impressed by its showmanship and willingness to emphasize the powerful and important or just exhausted by it. I I understand what you mean. Uh, I'm excited for Oppenheimer to hit streaming, which I think it's expected to do shortly because I haven't yet had the opportunity to revisit this one. Um, in contrast to something like Killers of the Flower Moon or even something like Barbie, uh, which I've seen multiple times. Uh, so it will be good to revisit that because as much as I was awed, even by the sensory experience in the theater of, uh, and the craftsmanship uh, behind the film, uh, I think that there is a lot to evaluate. I think that there is tremendous uh, weight to this film because a lot of the, of a lot of the performances um, and because a lot of a lot of that technical under the line detail, which I, I certainly think shouldn't be discounted and should be rewarded. Um, but especially in a kind of historical fiction piece, um, it was curious to see a biography that wasn't very interested in its subject. Um, because Cillian Murphy certainly gives a powerful performance uh, and he is spellbinding as Oppenheimer. Um, but Christopher Nolan is kind of much more interested in exploring what's happening in the world at the time, uh, especially as Oppenheimer is such a central part of that. But it feels like Nolan doesn't really have a lot to say about the character, I would I would argue almost. I, I would agree. Um, and especially when you have something like Killers of the Flower Moon, where the director literally comes out and, and says the important part. Uh, when I, I think about Oppenheimer, I'm kind of wondering what, what Nolan has to say. Um, because I'm certainly impressed with what he can do. I'm certainly impressed with how he retold, uh, the biography and the story of Robert Oppenheimer, because I, you know, it's accurate. Like, I love to see historical accuracy in film and, and Oppenheimer is manna from heaven on that front, but... I still walk away 
wondering a little bit about what Nolan wants us to think about the role of of the great man and kind of 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 society of government and and kind of where we are there are certain questions for me that are are still a little bit unanswered i'd i'd love to to see if those are unraveled on a second watch you know or if or if i see them in a new light or or i learn to appreciate the meditation on these questions as a reward unto itself but right now i would say that i feel a little bit more unresolved whereas I think other films were more concise in the, in their message. And and that's what I would argue is kind of Nolan's entire deal is he doesn't tell you how to feel about his movies. And you can say that that's a good thing, but to me, it just seems like he doesn't know what he wants to say about them. If anything, it, he makes these sprawling epics or intricate thrillers and puzzle boxes th- that are full of themes like, Dreams versus reality, duality, obsession, getting back to one's family, like all these different things. But it, they're, they're just tools in his toolbox that he uses that, that he doesn't have any actual perspective on. I, I'm, and I even made a video about exactly this. And I think Oppenheimer fits in nicely with the rest of his filmography as far as movies that may be more about their own vibes than making an actual point. But I do think that when we take a step back from this movie in 10, 20, 30 years, put it up against Christopher, the rest of Christopher Nolan's filmography, like, yes, that'll probably be his one most worthy of a Best Picture win. I think we'll find that it checks a lot of boxes that a lot of other Christopher Nolan movies do. That is more a testament to his style as a director than his talent. The one thing I will say is that ever since his Batman trilogy ended I haven't really been on board with Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. It feels like everything he does now is about trying to outdo what he did previously. Everything has to be bigger. Everything has to be more meaningful. Everything has to be more impressive. And, and I just want to see him just make a movie again. I, I think that's why his films are events, because he's always trying to outdo himself. And I do think there's talent um, or there's... Um boldness there you know and which which sometimes is the hallmark of a great director i think a lot of his films are great you know because he he takes them on in in his such a distinct way um i think that there are a lot of stories that are perfect for him to tell um i think that oppenheimer is one that fits his rubik's cube of a mind um but again i think that when he he solves the puzzle or he shows you what he can do with the puzzle you know, it doesn't, you don't really understand more about the object or the game or what it means, uh, you know, as opposed to, like you're saying, the fact that Nolan could pull it off. Um, so so there's still things I'm thinking about, uh, and I, I do want to revisit it because I am curious about it and because it was such a, a bold take on historical fiction, you know, and, and, it, and it did engage with the past. Um, but I I do feel unresolved about it. Especially because I do, I do enjoy much of Christopher Nolan's work. I agree with you. And we'll probably have a chance to talk more about it when we talk about the uh, Oscars next time. Okay. One thing also about 2023, it's interesting that you mentioned this. Um, just because I felt like, you, you know, you, you we mentioned Oppenheimer, which came out over the summer as opposed to something more recent. Because I did feel like there wasn't really anything too big that came out. Um or that really broke into the popular culture um, since 
Well, there is a reason for so, that. There is. It's because actors were on strike, as were writers. Something that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, because 2023 outdid itself, um, and 2024 stands to be much starker in comparison. Um, so there's definitely things to be excited about. We're about to discuss them. But a few things to consider to read the tea leaves as we step into 2024. First of all, as Gilbert just said, we had some strikes. They affected the Writers Guild, the Actors Guild, meaning that certain projects were delayed uh, in terms of their release. And many, many, many projects were unable to continue filming or to enter production because the actors were not available to shoot as in many cases the films were delayed because actors were not uh, available to promote them so that will affect you know kind of the rush of films we see in the early part of the year but it will also mean there are fewer films tv shows perhaps in the latter half of the year even going into next year so that's something to consider as well that there will be fewer possibly less on the table at the same time, studios after the strikes, uh, as well as responding to what they would say are market forces, are trying to cut back on expenses. So fewer things may be going into production. Budgets may be reduced and may not be as expansive as we have seen in the past. So uh, there may be less available on our screens, uh, and it may be a little bit smaller in scale than we've been used to. Another thing we shouldn't forget is COVID. You know, we're, we're several years out from lockdowns and pandemics. The virus is still out there. But I, I also think that now we can say we're done with the pipeline of films that were coming, uh, that were delayed because of COVID or where production was delayed because of COVID. So I would say that the studios aren't really sitting on anything anymore. You know, the vault is kind of empty. Specifically, uh, much of the vault for superheroes is empty as well. We are entering the twilight of the superheroes, to borrow a phrase from Alan Moore, because in the past year we saw that those films did not generate as uh, outsized box office returns as they historically have. They also didn't generate good reviews, so so people just didn't uh, yeah, go see they them. Were, there really wasn't anything in terms of the Marvel or DC world that I could say broke into my top 10 last list for the past year. Um, nothing that I was particularly excited to see. Uh, it was more like kind of watching a train wreck. Kind of the long tail of that means we, you know, both the MC... Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Innocent. Uh, true, true. You know, that was kind of the one thing that stood above the pack. That that was a great farewell. Um, it was a little bit bittersweet. There was not a lot to otherwise get excited about on the superhero front. And well, and just now that there's not going to be that much, uh, there are no Marvel films releasing this year, I think, outside of possibly Deadpool 3. Other than that, we'll be getting a few Sony one-off Spider-Man films or Spider-Verse films. Um, not like Spider-Verse Miles Morales, but the Sony, oh, the Sony Spider universe uh, that they have been producing. Uh Madam Web and Craven the Hunter, which everybody has definitely been asking uh, I've for. Been, you know, the, I told the Tooth Fairy when I was young that I didn't want quarters. I wanted her to just invest it all in these productions, and it's finally come to fruition. <laughs> um, oh, and, and and Venom Three, I can't forget Venom Three. Venom, Venom franchise Venom actually 3 makes might money. Be okay, we'll see. I mean, P PTA is excited. I I still got to see Venom Two. I I did not like Venom One. I did so not I see know. Venom Two either, but I heard 
pretty good, okay things, and I will get around to it eventually. A final note about 2023, uh, it was a home run derby for directors. So to read you off a quick list of directors who produced work in the past year or released work in the past year, we have, I'll start from the bottom up. Jonathan Glazer, Kelly Reiner, we have Emerald Fennel, we have Sofia Coppola, we have Yorgos Lanthimos, we have Christopher Nolan, Ridley Scott, Christopher McQuarrie, Todd Field, Bradley Cooper, Martin Scorsese, M. Night Shyamalan, David Fincher, we have James Mangold, we have uh, James Gunn, as you said, Michael Mann, Hayao Miyazaki, Oh my gosh, Ari Aster, Greta Gerwig, Wes Anderson. So really, just truly a day at the races for directors. Uh, and not many of them will be doing the hat trick of two films back to back. Fewer of the, the artists or the, the auteurs that we love uh, will be gracing our screens in 2024. Doesn't mean that we don't have people to get excited about to love uh, but some of our, our beloved, some of the names that we can blindly trust are, are going to be on the, the bottom of the batting order for now. And so I think without further ado, we have uh, our lists laying before us and we're going to share them with you. So just to go over the ground rules quickly, we are going to be discussing anything that we are most excited for or most anticipating in 2024. Regardless of the release date, as long as it comes out in 2024, whether it's already premiered at time of episode drop, we will be discussing it. Any form of media is eligible. So again, we are going to be discussing movies, TV, music, podcasts, games. It could be pretty much anything is on the table here. Um, if Gilbert and I share an item on our lists, we will hold the discussion until we reach the position on the person's list who has it the highest. So that way we can really just discuss it fully and uh, without any reservations. Um, and lastly, we don't have the full download on what these projects will be like, uh, but certainly we can talk about what we're most excited for. So if you want to keep yourself pretty innocent about some of these films and avoid any sort of spoilers or advisories, uh, just kind of keep that in mind. I don't think we'll be spoiling anything really in the traditional sense, but again, you can never be too careful. Uh, Gilbert, any kind of heads up you want to give? Anything you want to say about your list before we deliver? Uh, I wanted to challenge myself and not pick anything that was slated for last year that moved to this year, because that's boring. So I, so you will not be seeing Argyle or Civil War or Doom Part 2 on my list this year. Uh, <laughs> my list is idiosyncratic, uh, and it speaks to who I am and I'm not going to strip colors from my flag because they were beautiful last year. So, uh, I've, ex I will have a lot to talk about then, and perhaps there will be no crossover on our lists, which is very exciting. Um, Gilbert, do you want to go first? Sure. Starting at the bottom, my number nine is Drive Away Dolls. I have it higher. After you. Oh, how gorgeous. Alrighty, Gilbert. So my... much for not having any overlap. I know. Well, you know what? That just that just proves that uh, this is a, po uh, a pod match made in heaven. Um, every time I have doubt, you just come right through and you dispel it like a strong breeze. You blow the dust out. 
Um, okay. So my number nine is taking us to the small screen, actually, and it's a little thing called Shogun. This is a project that will be premiering on FX, so I believe it will also be available on Hulu as well. But it is an adaptation of James Clavell's novel Shogun, which describes a tale of intrigue and drama in feudal Japan. The novel on which this book is based is my favorite novel of all time. I actually have my trusty copy right here. I've read this novel between five and ten times in my life. And to say that I'm anticipating it does not necessarily mean that I'm excited, but it means that I'm clenching a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, because I first read this when I was in middle school, uh, and... It transported me. It took me away to a historical world that I loved, to something that really defied my wildest dreams and, and shaped the way I looked at stories. In the times when I would be bored and sitting down, I would think about my own fan casting or how you would present something like this on, on screen. Um, and so to hear that it's finally being adapted uh, scares me because I not only want this to be good, but... Uh, I need people to also appreciate it and love it in the same way I do. And I have such a clear image of what this book is in my head that if it doesn't match the screen, I'm going to have a real uh, look how they massacred my boy moment here. <laughs> um, there's, there's a little bit of reason to be optimistic. FX is not the network I would have expected to take up this project because this really is like a Game of Thrones set in Japan. Um, it tells a story about the escalation of a civil war from a, a cold war right as it's about to become hot again. You have the arrival of European interests in the form of Spanish and Portuguese merchants and, and the Catholic Church. Uh, and here comes an English sailor who is swept up in all of it and, and becomes a samurai, uh, which is based uh, or inspired, I should say, on a true story. Um, when I read it, I couldn't believe how historically dense it was. Uh, and I think that the, the show might have some trouble translating that to the screen, you know, literally translating it. This is a book that unfolds in five languages. Uh, so it might be hard to convey exactly what's happening. Uh, who's speaking what, who can understand why that's important to the plot. Uh, some of the details of Japanese culture, the historical context, it may be hard to unpack that. Um, and so the, the show definitely has a tall order ahead of itself. Um, I'm a little nervous that they might spoil something that I love, but I'm not able to look away. So my, the bottom of my list is Shogun on FX. I've seen the trailers for this. I'd be lying if I said I, I, I'm anticipating it. Game of Thrones kind of killed any show that's like Game of Thrones for me. I, I'm just like, give me something different. Show me something new. But it does look visually striking. And FX has a pretty good track record when it comes to their flagship shows. Like, I still adore Devs. I, I thought Devs was great. So, so FX always gets the benefit of the doubt in my book. So maybe I'll have to check this one out. 
I did not even know it was based on a book. Yeah, the the book is fantastic, uh, and I've I've always described it as a Game of Thrones in Japan because of the political intrigue. It is completely grounded in history. There's no magic, nothing like that. Um, so it definitely represents its own animal. Uh, it's not something that would follow in in that template per se. Just in the sense that if you like kind of these sort of political epics with a lot of intrigue, uh, romance, uh, an ensemble cast of characters. This is something that you might want to tune into. Um, again, if they get it wrong, then this whole thing could jackknife and roll over. I'm very hesitant uh, to see what happens here. Um, and FX has the bear right now, which is probably one of the best shows on TV. So they definitely know how to make great TV. But I think this is a big swing for them. It could I be just as easy to miss. I need to catch up on season two as well. So here we are being bad podcast hosts uh, and pop culture aficionados. But yeah, <laughs> the bear is great stuff. That's your, no dispute from me. Um, and I hope that FX can maybe rekindle a little of that success because if not, I'll never forgive them. But no pressure. Exactly. Um, or, or they'll have to commit seppuku. Uh, anyway, Gilbert, uh, what's your number eight? Number eight, Lord of the Rings, War of the Rohirrim. This is a new animated film coming, I believe, late this year that tells the historic origin of the keep known as Helm's Deep. It is directed by Kenji Kamiyama, who is as storied in this medium as anyone possibly can be. He was a background animator on Akira for crying out loud like that is who we're dealing with okay the the bona fides are well established thank you and just looking at the concept art this movie looks absolutely gorgeous and i am so beyond excited to see a serious pg-13 to r adult animated movie coming to our screens coming to theaters because animation has been killing it on television lately, and I'll be speaking about that later, we've not gotten to see movies get the same treatment. Animation is still treated widely as for kids in movies, and I'm hoping this can change that. I agree. I definitely think it gets short shrift and it's seen as the kids' table when I'm all in on, on the medium. Um, and this was not something that I was anticipating. I enjoy The Lord of the Rings, but it's not one of uh, the, the franchises that I follow with bated breath, so it kind of slipped by me. But it sounds fantastic. On the on the quality of the art alone, independently of the, the IP aspect here, it sounds really great. What Where's this premiere? Where's this coming out? This is coming to theaters, I, I believe, oh, wow. this fall. That will be something else. That will be an event. And with the exception of Logan Roy himself, Brian Cox, and Miranda Otto, who's reprising her role as Eowyn, there's not a lot of big stars attached to this. It looks like they're going more for smaller vocal performers. And that is only a good thing because voice actors do not get the credit they deserve in Hollywood. That's a drum you've been beating for a long time. And I know you've even gone so far as to say that a-listers should should stay in their lane and let voice actors do the real heavy lifting. Um, so I think that's fantastic. Uh, you know, it's great when you can support a film from the audience seat and and from kind of your your philosophical perspectives. Um, so yeah, I'm glad to hear that they they're balanced on both ends. 
what's your uh, what's your next one? My number eight, David Fincher knows me best. I'm kind of a pervert. I'm a creep. My number eight is Maxine. This is the final entry in Ty West's X porn horror trilogy. X and Pearl, which came out both in 2022. Ty West has now taken a little time to film the final film in the series, which finds Maxine, the title character, now living in Los Angeles in the 1980s, where she is either an actor and director in the booming porn trade, uh, and of course things take a, a horrible slasher-fied turn. This is also going to be a bit of a, a noir um, film as well. I think that Ty West has said this is going to be a little bit investigative and procedural, um, but in addition to just feeling like I'm in, in trusted hands with Ty West and Mia Goth, um, in the title role, there are some other great people in here. So we've got Elizabeth Debicki, we've got Michelle Monaghan, we've got Bobby Cannavale, we've got Lily Collins, we've got Giancarlo Esposito, and Kevin Bacon. So That is a great list. Yeah, I... I'm excited for this film because, again, Ty West has done a great job with the previous two films in the trilogy. I wouldn't quite say they're wacky, but they're definitely absurd. They're over the top, but they're also a lot more intelligent than a porn horror film has have any right to be. And so I think that at the worst case scenario, this will be an exceptional B-movie. I Yeah, Boogie Nights the horror movie. I'm ready for it. As, as you know, I am a card-carrying scaredy cat. I am not a fan of the horror genre, although there are horror movies that I do enjoy. I have not watched X. I have not watched Pearl. I'm sure they're great. I have nothing but respect for them and Ty West. I'm just probably going to sit this one out. Fair enough. Uh, maybe if there's ever uh, you know, a night where you've bolted all your doors uh, and you've turned <laughs> the lights on to full full brightness, uh, give give X a whirl because it's, it's not as full like uh, skin crawling as you might expect. Uh, it might actually be a good little way to dip your toe in the water without getting the piranhas to bite it off. But yeah, I definitely encourage any listener who is possibly curious to check it out. Um, I'm really excited for Maxine. And now you see why I didn't think we'd have too, too much overlap. I do. <laughs> All right, Gilbert, what's your next film? Number seven, The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. Ooh, interessante. I do not have this. This is the new... I don't know how to describe it other than Guy Ritchie movie from Guy Ritchie. The British military recruits a small group of highly skilled soldiers to strike against Nazi forces behind enemy lines during World War II. Starring Alan Richardson, Henry Cavill, Hero Finds Tiffin, Yaza Gonzalez, Carrie Owis, Freddie Fox, Alex Pettifer, and Henry Golding. I, I don't need to know any more than that, and I'm in. Like, I love Guy Ritchie movies. Like, when he makes movies like Wrath of Man or Sherlock Holmes, or Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, or, or The Gentleman. It's just so much fun to watch. The style is the substance, and it's but it is so intoxicating. Uh, I was a little bit shocked at you when you said you didn't know how to describe this movie a second ago, because I know how to describe it. It's a Guy Ritchie movie. We know what that means, and it's a Guy Ritchie movie in World War II. Uh, it's It's... Sort of a perfect fusion of these two things, you know? It's sort of like, how did we not think to put Greta Gerwig and Barbie together? How did we not think to put Steven Spielberg and Dinosaurs together? Guy Ritchie in World War II? How have we been, you know, 
how come science hasn't delivered this to us sooner? So I think this sounds like a match made in heaven. Uh, the casts, again, it sounds like a Dirty Dozen or like a Great Escape from Guy Ritchie. Like, this sounds pretty sick. If, if anybody needs a testosterone infusion, apparently this will be able to give you a lifetime supply. Uh, but I think it'll, it sounds like a lot of fun. You're number seven. I am going to take us on a little trip back to Hawkins, Indiana for my number seven. Uh, it's Stranger Things for its fifth and final season. Uh, Gilbert, how do you feel about that? I feel like that might not be coming this year. Really? They're only filming it now. I've heard that it might be coming out in 2024. If it's 2024, it's late 2024. I hey, if if we can sneak that that counts for me, man. That counts for me. I I if you if you there's challenge. I have a a, a flex pick that I can slot in here instead. We we, we can be hopeful. You, you can speak on it. I love Stranger uh, Things. Go. Okay. Whew. It's, it's not an exaggeration to say that this has been one of my favorite shows, perhaps for the past ten years. Um, when it came out. Uh, Again, as we did back in 2016, I binged it. Um, I watched it immediately. I waited for every season to come out, uh, and it was just a bona fide phenomenon. Um, there are few things better than a show that you can talk about with anybody um, and shows that are really transcendent. Uh, and so I, I enjoy it not just as a watcher, but as a member of the audience, because this is really something where you can feel uh, connected with other people or kind of connected to a moment uh, through a season of TV almost, uh, which sounds a little bit surreal, but I've, I've had that experience with Stranger Things. Um, I also think it doesn't hurt you know or it perhaps contributes to that perception because we've literally now grown up with these actors we've we've followed this show for a long time there have been a lot of stops and starts with its production you know apparently it's not coming out and it may not be coming out in 2024 fingers crossed you know power friendship never-ending story let's go um but again i'm i'm really hopeful that they can can end something well here that has meant so much to me um especially now that they've had so much time i think that season four was really interesting um and that really uh s arranged everything nicely for this climactic conclusion i'm also interested in what this means for netflix you know as they they lose their flagship and perhaps their greatest piece of ip uh, I think one spinoff has already been announced, but I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if they throw several more on the fire. They order several more Stranger Things spinoffs once this ends its run. So I think that it will definitely represent the end of an era for Netflix. And I think that it, it has a, a chance to, to end on a really, really high note uh, in terms of its its quality. Season four to me was the best season since season one. And with the extra time, they got to really nail down the writing where they want to take the story up until its end. They really capitalized on every bit of extra time they got. And you can just feel the writing elevate in season four. And I have no reason to believe that won't be the case for season five. I am very excited to see how this story concludes. 
yeah, I certainly expect it to continue to elevate in that same way. Um, again, these these are creators that I trust. These guys have done nothing but remain authentic to themselves and to their vision throughout the entire story. They found ways to build and enrich the story. I'm excited for them to kind of move on to new things and for them to, to continue to create. I certainly hope that these guys don't go down as, oh, remember the creators of Stranger Things? Because I think that they're, they're tremendously talented. Um, and I, I hope that with the time they've had, with the pressure they must be under i hope that they get to end it in the way that they they want to um in a way that feels right to them uh because if they can do that i think that we as as an audience will be satisfied if david benioff and db weiss can make a new tv show after how they ended game of thrones i have no doubt the duffer brothers will gilbert i will write a blank check right now in our our video conference if you tell me that the three body problem is on your list it is not oh you just missed out on whatever is in my bank account. I did. But you saved yourself a lot of time and pain, uh, which otherwise would have been spent watching the three-body problem. (laughs) (laughs) That bad, huh? I I haven't watched it. I don't intend to, but I don't think it's worth the celluloid it's filmed on. Yeah. I I don't need to see those guys make anything more. But no, absolutely. Stranger Things, I'm here for it. I am pretty against anything getting spinoffs anymore i'm just like no make new shit please yes yes but uh i will absolutely i will absolutely be watching stranger things five uh gilbert what's your number six number six is final fantasy 7 rebirth okay do not have tell me more this is the new video game coming out from square enix it releases next month so february at time of recording This is the follow-up to Final Fantasy VII Remake, which saw a different take on the classic story of Final Fantasy VII, which seems to be opening up an opportunity to challenge or change the story that the characters seem to know they're a part of as they battle the one-winged angel known as Sephiroth. And if that sounded really confusing, that's because it's a Square Enix Tetsuya Nomura game. So of course it is. But no, I, I'll be honest. I have not played Final Fantasy VII. I know what happens, as does everybody. But I played Final Fantasy VII Remake. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I had a great time with the characters, with the soundtrack, everything. And coming off the, new tra- the uh, release trailer that released in January of this year, I am very excited to see where this is going next. Yeah, I mean, what more do you have to say about what can one say about Final Fantasy? Um, like, this is, this is, like you said, something that even if you haven't really touched the games, you, you know what this is, uh, you kind of can respect it, and I, I haven't really been following its new incarnations terribly closely, um, so it wasn't something that was on my list, but... Uh, I can imagine that you're going to hibernate for a while uh, when this gets released. Um, and that's something to be to be proud of. My number six is Drive-Away Dolls. Okay, let's go. Drive-Away Dolls is the new movie coming to us from Ethan Cohen. The plot listed on IMDb is Jamie regrets her breakup with her girlfriend while Marion needs to relax. In search of a fresh start, they embark on an unexpected road trip to Tallahassee, but things quickly go awry when they cross paths with a group of inept criminals. Starring Margaret Qualley, Beanie Feldstein, Coleman Domingo, Pedro Pascal, Matt Damon, 
honestly, this had me at Ethan Cohen. I don't know why the Cohen brothers split up, but we're clearly not lacking for movies since they have. And this sounds like a great genre crime thriller that the Cohen brothers used to be the best in the world at giving us. Yeah, I mean, for all of the reasons you just said, I cannot possibly be more thrilled for drive-away dolls. I want them to come pack me up, throw me in the trunk, and, and get on with it. I love it. First of all, comedies. We're, we're, I, I love that comedies are having a resurgence. I love that people are ready, you know, to go to the movies and laugh again, and and that we are getting more comedies or, or more on our screens. And like you said, these kind of genre genre films from the Coen brothers are are their bread and butter. So even if we're only getting one half of that that yin and yang fusion i think that we're really going to see something kind of great and pure here um the cast i i just love every everybody on the table margaret qualley she is shaping up to be one of the best actresses of her generation in my opinion um i think that she's worked with so many incredible people I think that she has such impressive range and is really fearless in a lot of the things that she does. I just think this is going to be fantastic. And one thing that also strikes me about it is that it's reported to be about 90 minutes or less. You know what we don't get anymore? Short movies. Yeah. Like It feels like a, a, a contradiction to be saying I'm excited or I'm intrigued by the fact that this is a short film. But in a, in a time gone by directors and and writers and storytellers used to be able to tell a concise story that was great you know as much as i really enjoy the films of the past few years it's a little ridiculous that nobody can kind of keep it to five pages or less sometimes so the fact that i think we're going to get an incredible film that it, that is going to make us laugh and it's going to surprise us and it's going to have a lot of great bits uh, it's going to have great performances and writing. I think that's amazing. And the fact that it's going to be able to deliver in a tight time frame, I'm just amazed because simplicity is, is the ultimate sophistication, as has been wisely said. So if you can give me something that I love and you can kind of give it to me in this kind of like quick little way, I nod to your, your abilities as a creator, you know? I could be reading the trailer wrong, but it gave me a lot of Blood Simple vibes, which... I'm completely fine with because Blood Simple is the Cohen's first movie and it is absolutely excellent. And with a runtime that short, it's going to be very to the point about its plot, which I am entirely in favor of. I'm excited to go laugh with people that I like. You know, when I go to the movies, as much as I enjoy having things that provoke me or make me think or show me I've never something I've never seen before. Sometimes it's nice to just go spend a little bit of time with people I know that are going to make me laugh, you know? And I think that Margaret Qualley's career prospects are going to open up after this because she's, she's actually leading this movie. Previously, she's been in a lot of smaller supporting roles that have kept her afloat but not really shown her off. Working with Ethan Cohen, I think we're going to see her career pop off. Yeah, and she's worked with so many great directors in the past, so she definitely knows how to hit on the highest levels. Um, you know, it's been a great boot camp for her, and I hope that by getting maybe one of these leading roles, we do really get a, a bright future for her, because she has the goods, you know? Does Hollywood have the goods to give her? I hope so, you know? Ethan Cohen's doing it! Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm one of the, the reasons why I'm excited for this film is to see, you know, how she, she takes off from it. I, I almost get a little bit of Tarantino, like early Tarantino, kind of a little bit of like Jackie Brown or even True Romance 
kind of kind of type energy um and obviously it'll be filtered through that cohen uh aesthetic and and uh tone but yeah i think that this is going to be kind of again the the big line on the holdovers this year was like oh it's it's kind of like a film we don't really see anymore you know and that was really refreshing like that's what i think this is going to be 2024 looks to be like a year where we're gonna get movies that we don't get anymore which i am very happy about because they work you know it's like it's the reason why people are so always saying that is because it's like those were great movies um give us the things that we like yeah and and we got like uh i'd be surprised if this is on your list but like love lies bleeding coming from a24 uh later this year looks absolutely fantastic same deal it was not on my list but maybe i'll have to throw it into the honorable mentions we don't have to wait very long for it. It's coming out in February. I'll definitely be going to see it as soon as I can. Um, I think it's going to be a great one. We should talk about it. Absolutely. Gil, you got number five for me? I do. Number five is Blitz. Okay. I like it. Didn't have it, but I respect the pick. This is the new movie from Steve McQueen. It is about characters in London during the London Blitz in World War II. And... Honestly, I don't need any more than that. Steve McQueen has made two absolutely brilliant movies, 12 Years a Slave and Widows, as well as the entire Small Axe series, which is impressive in its own right. He is one of our best living filmmakers, and I trust him. Yeah, I I think that he's someone who doesn't get as much notoriety as certain other directors who are working, but I think that every time he makes a movie... Uh, it's pretty airtight or it, or it leaps off the screen in certain ways. A world war two concept is, is almost immediate buy-in for me. Um, especially from someone who can deliver things that people, other people can't do or kind of push, push people to places, um, that other people can't go. So I think that it'll be, it'll be really cool to see this. Um, I'm, I'm very intrigued. There are certain concepts where it's like, why do you need me to tell you more? Give it to me. Yeah, I think I think this is going to be great. Again, the the historical fiction lives on, and I, I think it's it's. I mean, come on, come on, let's do it. Number five. Uh number five for me. It's True Detective, Night Country. Okay. This is uh something that I don't have to anticipate anymore because it's already been released. We already have a few episodes out. Um, and if I had to give you my review, I would say we are so back. It's been spectacular. I was on board with True Detective since season one, and I've been with it in its kind of up and down history ever since. And one thing that is dangerous is to kind of allow yourself to believe that there can be a redemption. But those fears for me are pretty dispelled. I'm not familiar with the showrunner, Issa Lopez, but obviously I think Jodie Foster is a living legend. Uh, And so when I heard that Clarice Starling was going to be investigating the death of missing scientists in Alaska, again, kind of to the point about Blitz, it's like, you don't have to to use any more words on me. Like, this is all I need to believe. Um, And because Jodie, again, because she is such a legend, she lends a lot of shine to this. She's very picky. She is famously picky about her projects. So the fact that Jodie Foster would be willing to come back to TV for the first time in decades did give me that hope. And this show has just been so, so dense, um, so, so thoroughly conceived and executed 
Um, again, Foster and the rest of the ensemble are incredible, and I am just kind of breathlessly awaiting the, the unfolding of this mystery. I have not tuned into Night Country yet. I, I like many people, I think season one is a masterpiece. Season two lost me. Season three I didn't watch, but... Every season is a new story, so maybe I'll have to check this one out. A couple episodes in, I'm very impressed. Callie Reese is someone who I was not previously on my radar, but again, she is someone who just kind of shows up out of nowhere and goes toe-to-toe with Jodie Foster, so I, I give her my, my plaudits. Okay. Um, one thing that I've observed and other people have said about this season is that it feels very much directly in conversation with season one. Um, so again, I think that they've captured a little bit of that lightning in a bottle or, or they're kind of reconnecting with some of the themes and motifs that made that season so powerful. But it's it's definitely worth your time. I think it's worth a chance. I'll have to check it out. Where are we going with you? We're getting to the very top here. We are. Number four, Megalopolis. Okay, tell me about it. Isn't this an ad for a wine company? <laughs> in In a way it is, yes. This is the new, long-awaited, long-gestating project from the legend himself, Mr. Francis Ford Coppola. It is set to release this year. Cast includes Aubrey Plaza, Adam Driver, Natalie Emanuel, Shia LaBeouf, Giancarlo Esposito, Jason Schwartzman, Catherine Hunter, Dustin Hoffman, Lawrence Fishburne, John Voight, James Remar, Forrest Whitaker. The list goes on, and you can see why. Not many people get the chance to say they made a movie by the guy who made The Godfather. The cast is a megalopolis. Exactly. Especially Adam Driver. He is, in my opinion, our our best working actor right now. I really enjoy Francis Ford Coppola's work. When he is good, I think he's great. Godfather, of course, is a classic. I loved Apocalypse Now. I really enjoy The Rainmaker. I know he has a lot of hits and misses throughout his career, but I believe that he's got one more great film left in him, and... I'm here to see this happen. I hope that he does. I think that he said that he he took some of the inspirations or some of the themes from uh, Roman history as he was reading it. Because again, ultimate level dad, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, uh, in addition to being a great director. Um, So I think this is going to be great. I mean, again, part of what I want to do with the movies is just spend time with great people, you know, and great talents. Um, And it will almost defy the laws of physics for a film with this much incredible talent to not captivate. So I think that, you know, the, the performers are worth the cost of admission on this one. And I agree with you. I think that if he's going to gonna step back out for, for one more, um, I think that he's really going to try to do it on his terms as much as possible. And I think it's really got to mean something to him. So I think that we're going to be getting something that demands our attention. I don't really have a lot of expectations about what this is going to be. You know, like I don't know much about what the story is or, or where it's going to go, but I... I think that it's going to be one of the bolder films or one of the the grandest films that we get in 2024. Number four. My number four is Ballerina. I'm a simple man in my veins. Sometimes I ask for a lot, but really what I want is not very complicated. Ana de Armas will be portraying Rooney, an assassin and ballerina who takes revenge on the people who killed her family. This takes place between the John Wick 3 and uh, John Wick 4 titles. And again, I don't need anything more than this. Uh, I love Anna de Armas. She's a great actress. Uh, some of the appearances she's had, even even briefly in films, whether it's 
uh, Blade Hunter 2049, you know, No Time to Die. She completely steals the screen. I think that she's going to lead a film in a fantastic way in an action film, which is kind of a, a new branch for her. Um, but I think that there's no one better for this uh, kind of role or uh, for this kind of performance. Take me away. She can take me away. This is another one that's like less is more. Ana de Armas, John Wick. Sold. I'm in. You don't need to tell me anything else. You don't have to show me a trailer. Nothing. Point me in the direction of the nearest theater. Um, I think this is coming out kind of in March. I, I just want it now. Like, please let me put this in my veins. I'm, I'm sure we'll get a trailer for it around uh, Super Bowl time. What's your number three? My number three is Bleachers. The new album by the band Bleachers. And it is coming out in March of this year. And, and I am so excited for it this is one of my favorite bands of all time this is jack antonoff's band and honestly if i wrote songs i would write songs like bleachers i am to me this is the ultimate vibe band i don't have to sing along to every song it just feels good to listen to if you haven't watched the uh tiny moves video that they released a few days ago highly recommend it margaret qualley choreographs and directs it and she's fantastic i've watched this video several times bleachers is good to me in the way that david bowie music is good wow it fills a very specific kind of niche in my life i'm very happy with where this band has gone since the breakup of fun jack antonoff became one of the biggest music producers in the world and this is the kind of music he left fun to make and i just can't get enough of it i regret that I am not a better student of music. I have never in my life been very good at following new music or keeping up with music as it releases, discovering new artists in that way. So I do doff my cap to you, Gilbert, that you are, you've got some new music on the horizon to get you jazzed up. Uh, And I'll definitely have to give this a listen because that is a ringing endorsement. I love vibes music. I love David Bowie. If you're using some of those adjectives in combination here, that's really undeniable stuff. Uh, again, I, I gotta, I'm, I'm gonna run, not walk, to my nearest Spotify <laughs> listening station and give that a gander because that sounds pretty, pretty serious. I don't think you and I have ever discussed music, have we? Not really. Uh, we we've had other things enough. We've we've talked so much. We had to start a podcast about it. That's true. Uh, so may, so maybe this will grow into a feed if we ever do a music show. Um, you can teach me what's coming out. Perhaps um, it's it's exciting to have that to look forward to because it's, you know those those things can live with you a lot. They they can just be be more ubiquitous. Those kind of songs that, like you said, truly the vibes. Exactly. Um, so I. I I got tickets to this tour coming up in June. Can't wait. Um, yeah, that's, that, that sounds really cool right now. Um, and again, I did, I was not familiar even with this, this band, um, or this group until you just mentioned it. Uh, but now I, I really do, uh, feel excited as if I'm at a concert. So, uh, I'll definitely have to check this out and you'll have to let me know, uh, if the, the album holds up to your expectations. I will. Number three. I'm coming straight from the heart here because my number three is the Fallout TV series, which will be hitting Amazon Prime in April of this year. Okay, um, shoot. 
Fallout is one of my favorite game franchises, and I'm going to go so far as to say it's a little slept on, actually. I think that people are aware of it, perhaps. Um, I think that they certainly are more familiar with some other games, certainly the Elder Scrolls, even from Bethesda Game Studios. Fallout really speaks to me on a, on a pretty specific level. I mean, it's no secret to listeners of this film that I love kind of histories. I can appreciate a little bit of an alternate history. Um, and even though Fallout is set in the future, I do think that it deals with a lot of very profound historical themes. Certainly, you've got war, you've got society, you've got human nature all in play. Um, but at the same time, uh, especially for a post-apocalyptic world, it doesn't have to be weighty all the time. Um, the game can be very intelligent and very sophisticated, but at the same time, you also have giant roaches and scorpions and people's faces are ex are exploding and they're listening to, to 1950s radio. So it's it's got a very goofy, very absurdist uh, sentiment that I've always really enjoyed, um, and I think that it can translate really well to TV, especially because... The post-apocalyptic genre does feel very popular, and even in the video game adaptation space, last year we saw The Last of Us on HBO. That really thrived. I believe that, that won some Emmys, at least in the performance category, at the Emmys. And I think that that was a little bit more of a prestige show, and this show might be intended to be a little bit more casual and wacky. But when I was watching the trailer for Fallout... Amazon kept trumpeting that this was the studio that brought you the boys. I think that Fallout lends itself perfectly to the, that model, whereas there is just truly spectacular, depraved, hilarious source material that also manages to find within that, that kind of gore and that pulp uh, some pretty bitter truths, some pretty sincere truths, maybe about human nature, um are kind of about about society. So I think that this show just has the potential to be so much fun. Um, Chris Parnell is like, I in the trailer, we see him as a cyclops drinking coffee, like freaking ridiculous. I'm excited for the cast here. Uh, so one of your like guys, Walter Goggins, uh, he is going to play the ghoul who is somebody who was exposed to radiation and... Uh, effectively became immortal he became a ghoul in the parlance of the games meaning he does not age um and he has survived 200 years into the future as a lone gunslinger that right there just sounds awesome and it sounds like a great little western uh set in this wacky alternate future bethesda did have a, a pretty significant uh role in producing this i believe todd howard of bethesda actually has an executive producer credit and the showrunner is jonathan nolan the brother of no less than christopher nolan himself so i think that creator westworld yes exactly uh and that again was a little bit more serious in its tone but it did have similar themes of technology run amok and a dystopian future um so he's also come out as a major fan of the games and he said that's why he wanted to adapt them um and so i think with talent like that um with that level of involvement from the studio this has the potential to be just something really fun something that i think will be accessible to a lot of people but i think is also going to be just one for 
for the fans and is really going to speak to people who have been on the Fallout journey for a while. So I, I think this is going to be a great show. Um, I think that this is just going to be something hilarious that I'd love to catch up with week to week. Um, I'd love to see if it ties into the games at all or how much overlap there is there. But everything I've seen so far about this show has made me think, wow, they actually did it. I confess, I've never been a big fan of the Fallout series. The gameplay just has not been for me. No, but I understand that they are like a, a big deal among fans. So I'll keep an eye on this one. And if the reviews tell me that it's something not to be missed, then I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, it's coming out in April. It's going to be on Amazon Prime. Um, and again, I thought the trailer looked really promising. Uh, and some of the interviews I've read also uh, gave me more reason to pump up my morale. Um, so I'm very excited. I hope that the ser- the adaptation earns it. But again, right now they get the benefit of the doubt from me. Sounds good. You got number two? Invincible Season 2B. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant, sir. This is the second half of the second season of Invincible. It released four episodes last year. It's releasing final four episodes this coming March. And this season has been fan-fucking-tastic. If you're a follower of my YouTube channel, you know that my most popular video was about Invincible and Omni-Man and how much I love that character. So you'll understand how much this show means to me and how much I enjoy it and how impressed I am with the storytelling and the vocal performances and everything that goes into this show like they they don't half-ass it with this the character writing is on point and given where the season left off at the end of last year I'm very excited to see where we're going to be going for the end of season two. Yeah, I mean, earlier in the show, you were talking about adult animation. um, And I think that even though Invincible perhaps has an audience of maybe, uh, you know, younger viewers in mind, um, there is nothing immature about this show. It it is brutal uh, in a way where few live action films can even compete. Like it takes animation in in pretty jaw dropping places. Um, and at the same time, it it tells a really compelling story with with pretty incredible characters. Um, so this is something where every time I've watched the show, it's never failed to really just shock me. Uh, just fail to d- defy my expectations at every turn. I I never know what to expect here, and I'm never disappointed. My honest to god take is that whenever Invincible ends that will be the end of the superhero renaissance as we know it. Yeah. I I think that this is taking the entire concept of the superhero story that we have conditioned ourselves to be almost numb to at this point to its logical extreme. And I hope that they give this show as many seasons as they possibly can because if they maintain this level of quality then I don't know what else there's going to be left for superheroes to explore. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that Amazon Prime also puts out The Boys, uh, which I think has a new season coming out this year, but it did not make my list. Nor mine. Um, I followed The Boys for all three seasons. It's it's been out on Amazon Prime, and again, that's another show. uh, Talk about brutal, talk about bold, uh, talk about jaw-dropping. And so I think... It's funny how Amazon has almost cornered the market on the anti-superhero story, uh, both for the boys and also for Invincible. I don't know if there's like a larger 
message uh, or a larger symbolism there. But I think, yeah, these these are some of the, the most provocative superhero stories uh, that are being told right now. And even if Invincible is animated, it has a lot more substance than some of the things Marvel's put out in recent years. Right now, they're the only ones telling superhero stories that have anything to say. And that's what we're hoping to see course correct from the MCU and from the new reboot of the DCU. Hopefully those studios will be able to pull that off because more better movies is better for everyone. Um, But I do think that right now, yes, while those studios have almost reached the top of their bounce and now they're in in the free fall phase amazon is almost sort of uh bucking the market or shorting the market by pointing out uh the limitations or, or you know truly exploring what the superhero genre is rather than just recycling it or regurgitating it you're number two sir yes invincible is a great choice uh gilbert it's time to go back to the future because my Number two and number one are films that we have discussed already on this podcast, uh, even though they have not premiered uh, in theaters as yet. Okay. Um, and so with that disclaimer, my number two is Civil War. Uh, yes! So I I can see the veins popping out of your head uh, with <laughs> excitement uh, that you get to talk about it. But this I, movie looks insane. Yeah, I'm not someone who avoids trailers as religiously as you, but when I saw the trailer for this, it it almost buckled my knees. <laughs> um, it's the biggest swing from A24 thus far. Yeah, and it seems a bit ridiculous to say that when A24 is the studio that brought you everything everywhere all at once. You would think that's a pretty wild swing. But when we are looking at Civil War, I mean, Alex Garland is imagining, you know, and deliberately throwing the the threat of a, a collapsing America at the viewer. And this is more than something like a White House Down or a silly little movie where we've seen, you know, the president be in jeopardy. I mean, he's called he's ripping the the fabric of the republic apart here you know and showing what would happen if the united states as we know it would descend into a civil war it's hard to imagine a topic that is more uh relevant i was gonna work up to relevant but i think first we should stop at uh terrifying um i mean i i mean again you know, we're talking about, for you and I, Gilbert, and for many of the people I'm sure that are listening, it would be kind of the end of the world as we know it to see our country, our society, you know, thrust into uh, chaos. Um, it's it's a sad fact of life for many people around the world, and I think that's why Alex Garland may be so interested in talking about it. Maybe he wants to bring that, that feeling home to Americans to show them that the stability we have is not something we can take for granted to the degree we still have that stability. Cough, cough. I think that here we are in the hands of a master. I think that for so many people, a film like this could turn into a stunt. Um, I think that it could be handled poorly or um, in in myopic ways. But I think that Alex Garland is one of the few people who earns the title visionary. I certainly hope it doesn't mean he's prophetic insofar as what this movie anticipates. But also... I think that he is someone who will be able to hopefully show us a future from which we can divert. Um, but I also think that he will be able to explore these these awful and powerful ideas with the level of nuance uh, and sophistication 
that they deserve maybe using film to, to say things that other mediums cannot. Alex Garland is one of my guys. Anytime he makes a movie, my ears perk up. And he has made a name for himself on making these heady, cerebral sci-fi thrillers like Ex Machina and Annihilation and Devs that are as much about their the ideas present in their premise as they are about their characters. And he is someone who I absolutely trust to take this subject matter with care and a deftness to his craft to make it not just a harrowing experience, but a but one that we hopefully have a national conversation about. One that inspires discussion and dialogue by what by the kind of depictions that we may get to see of quote unquote Americans in this film. And he he is someone who I trust. I I was not a big fan of men, as many people weren't, but like I've said before, I don't think he would call that movie a failure. I think that movie did exactly what he set it up for it to do. But this looks like he's getting into something much more accessible, if not easy. Yeah, I think that accessible and easy may not be the right labels for this type of film. I think that it may be more... Yeah, I, Men is hard to engage. You know, it's, it's a very sophisticated film. It's not easy to, to engage with. Um this is a simpler concept, I think, to kind of deliver to an audience, but um, I don't think that it's with, with it comes with any less complication. Um, but I think that um, I think a lot of times uh, it's natural for us to talk about the ways where a director is similar to his to their main character, um, and I think it's interesting that in this film, Kristen Dunst, the main character, uh, is apparently some kind of journalist or photographer. You know, that is someone who would use their art you know, or use their medium to try to communicate the horrors of war and dissuade them from doing that. And, I, and you know, in, in Civil War, Alex Garland will almost certainly be using the film to try to shock or uh, bring Americans to the epiphany that, you, that our, our world is on the brink of collapse. I think there is an incredible level of, of overlap between the character and the director in that sense that Garland is trying to do with the film what his character tries to do with her work. Um, we'll see the ways that unfolds in the film, how successful she is. Um, I hope that people do give this film a chance, even though it certainly won't be an easy watch. In some ways, I'm almost terrified for the discourse that's come, going to come out around this film. Do not read um, the comment sections. I think that this is a film that just because I walk out of the theater totally silently doesn't mean that I will not have a lot to say or to I'll be not all I'll be thinking about. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to forego the drum rolls, but we have now reached the final entry on each of our lists. Gilbert, what is yours? My number one with a bullet is the long-awaited Arcane League of Legends Season 2. We are so back, baby. Oh my God. This, first of all, if you have not seen Arcane League of Legends season one, you're missing out. Season one is a masterpiece. This is one of the best things on television. This is one of the best things on Netflix. It is gorgeously animated, incredibly performed, and the writing is top notch from top to bottom. There is 
there are layers upon layers of of depth in the characters, in the setting, in the story, in the plot, in the themes. There is so much there that you don't get to see in a lot of TV. There is just an unbelievable level of care in this show that I haven't seen outside of any movie with the word Spider-Verse in it. And I, I have been waiting for season two for three years, and it is finally coming out November of this year. We got a little tease for it with one of the characters from season one. I don't, what it means, I don't know. I don't care. But this is one of the best things in animation, one of the best things on Netflix, one of the best things on TV. Give it to me. I can't wait. Gilbert, you have made no secret of your unabashed love of Arcane. Uh, anytime the opportunity presents itself, I shouldn't be surprised at all that this is your your most anticipated project for 2024. Um, and I am perhaps a bad friend and a bad host because I have not taken part, I have not watched the first season of Arcane yet, even though you, as uh, one of animation's greatest champions, have been telling me that this is some S-tier stuff. Um, I'm thrilled because, as you know, I'm very interested in, in the intellectual exercise of adaptation. I'm very interested specifically in video game adaptation. Um, and I think Arcane is fascinating because of how successful it's been and, and evidently in, in what a powerful kind of like emotional uh character-driven story it's created and you know stop me if i'm saying something untrue um you know based on the source material that it has you know i played league in college and i would not have expected it to be the genesis for uh this kind of story and so i'm very impressed that the creative team behind it was able to um find a way to kind of bring these characters to life in a new way to take this, you know, story into the cinematic or the TV realm um, in a way that could really engage people. It sounds like they've really got lightning in a bottle here. Um, I mean, I know that apparently you don't need a lot of game knowledge to get into the series. I avoided the show at first because it was, because I never played League, but now it's like one of my favorite things. The show, not the yeah. game. I was going to say, you don't strike me as the type. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I definitely need to get around to checking this because everybody um, everybody who has seen this show has tried to sell it to me like it's a set of, cut, set of the Cutco knives. Like, they're really trying <laughs> to get me... They're really trying to get me to, to, to buy this. Um, and, you know, all these voices can't be wrong. And whenever you get around to watching it, you only have to wait a few months for season two. I know I'm in that respect I'm spoiled that I'm uh you know joining joining the bandwagon this late. Um but join the bandwagon I will. It looks like you guys have some some great snacks and things like that and everybody's got good vibes. So yeah, I'll I I'll get I'll go check this out just so I can uh I'll I'll be the the like control variable in the little experiment that we do on Arcane. Mm -hmm. um, whereas you could just completely react to the introduction of the substance, I'll be the control group. Where I'll be like, okay. Boy, if you don't like it, we're going to have such an awkward conversation. <laughs> uh, Alright, well, I, you're, you're doing a great job getting the runway ready, um, and I am genuinely interested in checking this out. I know how much you love animation, um, and how much you want to see animation earn even more of a rightful place. Um, 
I know how much you've really been trumpeting this kind of renaissance or this expansion it's been having in the streaming era. And so I know that if you're saying that that this is unavoidable, I can't I can't deny that. Like I got a that means a lot. That means something. I I look forward to hearing your thoughts on it. Well, first I'm going to give you my thoughts on my number 1 of the year. Please do. Um and again, it's it's a name we've heard before. Uh it's it's that Muadib. It's the Spice Worm. It's Dune Part Two. Um, okay, I'm I'm so ready for this because I want to go to the movies and get knocked over. I want to go to a movie that is going to surround me. I want to go to a movie that's going to shake me. I want a movie that is going to make me see things I've never seen before. Um, and I think that Dune 2 is the film this year that is most likely to do that. Um, like you were saying about Arcane, it's been a long wait since Dune Part 1. Um, and I was very intrigued and I very much enjoyed Dune Part 1, but I could tell it was setting the table. Now I'm ready to eat. Um, I would say that in the time since the movie has come out, I've only come to appreciate it more. I've only come to appreciate Denis Villeneuve more as a director. Um, and again, I think that, you know, you had Francis Ford Coppola on your list. You had Steve McQueen on your list. I had, I think that, uh, Denis is one of, of the best directors we have right now working, um, you know, in Hollywood or internationally, what have you. He absolutely um, is. And, and I think obviously Dune is a project of critical importance to him. It is a project that brings together some of the most incredible talent in Hollywood. It looks to be like... Just because this is a little game that we're playing this episode, let me just quickly search the internet and read you the list of people that will be starring in the film Dune Part 2 by Denis Villeneuve and the Warner Brothers Corporation. Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Rebecca Ferguson, Josh Brolin, Austin Butler, Florence Pugh, Dave Bautista, Christopher Walken, Stephen McKinley, Leah Seydoux, Stellan Skarsgård, Charlotte Ramping, Javier Bardem, and Tim Blake Nelson. This is, like, he's got a, a phenomenal cast. Like, I love these people. This, this is a, an elder text, Dune. Um, it's, it's pretty foundational to modern sci-fi canon and a lot of modern stories, um, especially that kind of lean towards the fantasy realm. And I think that Denis has been doing a great job kind of adapting them into this epic story. I'm so ready to see it come together. Um, I'm so ready for what it means, these incredible images, and to, you know, get swept up in Dune. Like, I, I have a hard time articulating it in words because the, the feelings kind of crowd out any, any thoughts I can, can muster. Like, this is going to be awesome. Um, I think one thing that Denis does is that he kind of can get a great fusion of, like, vibes and action one scene that I think about in particular is kind of like the highway interception in Sicario um, as a scene that just kind of hangs dread in the air like it's a cloud, but also cuts like a total knife. That seems um, incredible. It, it, it is totally striking. There's some, there's some great set pieces in uh, Blade Runner 2049. Obviously, there are some good set pieces in Dune uh, Part 1. But if this is going to be the 
you know, climactic resolution of what we saw in the first part, I, I think that my like body is going to explode. I think that, you know, I said a little earlier when we were discussing 2023, how much I missed a movie that everyone was talking about and that really captured a lot of imagination. I think that when Dune hits, I think that a lot of people are going to really be blown away by it. Um, I think it's going to possibly be the biggest blockbuster of the year. And I I don't want to have to keep waiting. Like, I'd, I'll take it now. I want to love Dune. Everything about it is something I want to enjoy. I probably should enjoy. I've seen Dune Part 1 twice now. It just doesn't click for me. It's very stoic. It's a lot of hard stares. It's a lot of exposition. And it's gorgeously rendered. Like It it is a beautifully made movie, but it just doesn't feel like there's anything to it to me like it it doesn't even make sense because it's so densely populated and fully realized but dune part one for me was a movie where i was waiting for the plot to start more than halfway through it and then it kind of lopsidedly ends where it does and i was like but wait where's the rest of it and if this is to be the climactic conclusion to everything we saw in part one, then there's a very good chance that I could love it. And I maybe even will love part one in retrospect. But right now, I can't put this on my list and I can't be excited for it because of Denis Villeneuve's English language films, Dune part one is kind of my least favorite. Fair enough. I mean, I won't you know take that away from you or i won't tell you you're wrong for feeling that way because you know if there's certain you know if you're looking for those things from it like yeah you know it is slow it is a lot about kind of this uh drawn out unspoken stares and you know kind of connections between characters and foreboding um there's a lot that it doesn't give us and it just feel and every story beat it gives us feels like something we've seen before and i know that's not entirely fair because this is that this is the text that inspired a lot of stories that we have now and take for granted like star wars but i just i wanted to be swept up when and taken away when i saw part one and i just wasn't i i hear you and i don't think that it is the sweeping adventure you know perhaps that many people hoped but i think that what dune part one does exceptionally um, is that it engineers this world um, and renders it in a tactile way. Um, and I think what that does, or kind of the influence that will have on the second film, is to underscore a lot of the stakes, you know? Um, I think that this, it's going to feel so much more personal and so much more human because we have gotten to know these characters, we've gotten to know this world. And I think that that will enrich um, kind of what happens here because so much of what it what inspires the stories that we're saying like Star Wars and other things like that are are the the interplay kind of between these forces um and I think that it would be rushed to kind of try to get it all out there in one um I mean again I love Star Wars but that's an, another story in three parts 
I don't think it's unfair for Denis to take his time in, in kind of staging the first one. I think that as we look back, we'll think of Dune Part 1 just as a delivery system for Dune Part 2. Yeah, I think maybe we can hold that against Dune Part 1, the film, perhaps. Um, but I think that Dune Part 2 is that much the richer for it, you know? Like, that's then, then there's that much more to love or that much more to be excited about in this film. That is my hope, that the ideas that were set up in Dune Part 1 are challenged and explored and inverted in Part 2. I'm hoping we're not disappointed. Gilbert, our, much like Paul Atreides, our journey has been long and arduous, but we have recapped some of our most anticipated films of the year, as well as some TV shows, in your case, video games and music. Do you just want to run through your list real quick for the listeners? Absolutely. My list, in no particular order, is Drive Away Dolls, Lord of the Rings, War of the Rohirrim, The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, Megalopolis, Blitz, Bleachers, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, Invincible Season 2B, and Arcane Season 2. Very good. And my list from the ninth to top spot is Shogun Season 1. Maxine, Stranger Things Season 5, Drive Away Dolls, Season 4 of True Detective, colon, Night Country, Ballerina, Fallout Season 1, Civil War, and Dune Part 2. Good lists. And a lot to be excited about for the coming year. Uh, certainly we'll have a lot more to say about all of this. But I think that in the short term, we are going to continue looking back on 2023 now that the oscar race is really going to be escalating we'll be talking about the oscars the award season and some of our favorite films and future episodes but i'm glad we laid down what's gonna keep the candle burning in 2024 all right guys thanks for sticking with us uh we had a lot to talk about it's been a little while thanks for sticking around if you want to continue to hear our musings and our wild thoughts then you can follow us online at audio surge pod we are on twitter and instagram you can follow us on spotify on apple music or wherever you listen to your podcasts and we will be right back at you next time with more of the latest and greatest in pop culture until then i'm steve Vieira. i'm matt gilbert and we are happy to be your audience surrogates thank you so much bye-bye Thank you.